0: The drug dealers, you know, this this sort of, you know, mystical, we're sneaking mules across the night desert, you know, to, to, to smuggle cocaine into, you know, friggin' caramel. That, that is not how this stuff usually works.
1: Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus.
2: Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana,
3: this is In Focus with Dan Spieler
4: and we will have a national emergency, and we will then be sued. More dramatic
1: days in Washington as Congress finally strikes a deal, but now there's more controversy and potential legal challenges to the president's declaration of a national emergency, with Indiana's two Republican senators seemingly split over what should happen next. We start with my conversation Thursday with Senator Todd Young. Do you regret the way all of this played out, a lengthy shutdown, now finally a deal. Could all this have been prevented?
5: Yeah, it could have been prevented. Unfortunately, uh, this situation, like too many others in Washington, became politicized. Before last election, there was a near bipartisan consensus around the idea uh, that we needed to address the problem of narco trafficking and human trafficking on our southern border. That has always included, going back uh, decades really, uh, some physical barriers uh, between our southern border uh, and the United uh, States. Uh, So, um, you know, I experienced this situation firsthand in the U.S. Marine Corps back in the 90s. Uh, Bill Clinton was commander-in-chief. I was Uh, down there training in the Arizona area and there was narco trafficking and human trafficking in the greater Yuma, Arizona region. Uh, Subsequently, during George W. Bush's uh, presidency, a physical barrier was erected and over about a 10 year period, trafficking went down 95 percent. So we know that uh, walls or barriers work. Um, any fair-minded person who looks at this objectively thinks that should be part of the package. I'm glad it now is. I'm glad glad the government it apparently will be open. Perhaps we can move on to getting more good judges confirmed and growing this economy as we've been doing over the last couple of years.
1: But again, this is only a portion of the wall money the president had been hoping for. Do, do you think he will seek more money for the wall? And if that comes in the form of an emergency declaration is that something you'd support
5: well we've authorized more money for the wall uh... in past years this is something that chuck schumer has supported this is something that uh... so many prominent democrats and republicans alike have supported so of course i'd support additional funding and uh... any funding legislation of course has to be consistent with the constitution that's always been my threshold that will continue to be my threshold
1: Okay. I also want to ask about William Barr's confirmation vote to be the next attorney general. What kind of AG do you think he will be? And are you convinced he will lead the Justice Department with integrity and with independence?
5: Well, no one called into question, to my knowledge, his integrity or independence when he served as attorney general under President George H.W. Bush a number of years ago. He comported himself uh, as a statesman in a dignified, public-spirited way. He demonstrated he has knowledge of the law and the ability to manage personnel. And um, that's why I intend to support uh, his uh, nomination to uh, vote to confirm him and get him in place as soon as possible. Should
1: Barr make the findings of the Mueller
5: probe public? So he's been he was asked over the course of the his confirmation hearing uh, related sort of variants of that question. And it's unclear what a report will look like. Right, you know, a report uh, may not be compiled together in one neat and tidy document. There may well be a, a lot of confidential material in there that can't be publicly released. It would be my expectation that whatever can be released um, will be released, and and that sounds like the right approach to me.
1: All right, the DOJ reportedly telling the president he should expect the national emergency. To get struck down on that topic, Thursday, Senator Mike Braun issued this statement saying he supports the emergency declaration and that the president had, quote, no other option, in his words. From Congresswoman Susan Brooks, I'm proud we were able to make progress and find a bipartisan compromise that keeps government open and provides necessary funding to better secure our border. But she did not weigh in specifically on the national emergency. And from South Bend Mayor and potential 2020 candidate Pete Buttigieg saying, quote, I'm old enough to remember conservatives being skeptical about executive power grabs. Meantime this week, more national attention for Mayor Buttigieg. He was on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert Thursday night, and last weekend he held a huge event in South Bend. Our Trevor Shirley spoke with him there.
2: Mayor Pete, as he's known around South Bend, has held that title since 2012. He's now considering whether that experience could propel him to the White House.
1: I think it's very important to show what that intimate local level might mean for the bigger picture.
2: As the latest Hoosier to consider a run at national politics, judge, a Navy Reserve veteran and an openly gay politician, may bring a fresh face to the political field, but he's nowhere near a household name, a fact he's quick to admit as higher profile candidates continue to declare.
1: The wider the field, I think the more it favors underdogs and newcomers, and uh, I'm very aware that I am both of those
2: things. Outside political experts say a lack of name recognition could prove to be a challenge for the 37-year-old mayor.
6: One thing things he has to do is be able to convince folks that his local government experience as mayor of a good-sized city but nonetheless still mayor of a city would translate well into the presidency.
2: But judge says a mayor's eye for detail is exactly what Washington needs. It would really be a win if places like the U.S. Congress looked a little more like our local problem solvers did. And in looking at the current field while early, some experts say Buttigieg's Midwest roots might also play to his favor.
6: Because you see people that are either from the West Coast or the East Coast, there aren't as many candidates at least right now from the Midwest. And that's that's clearly a benefit to him.
2: He's also hoping South Bend's story, from its fall as a manufacturing boomtown to its recent revival, might also entice voters ahead of 2020.
1: So I tried to use South Bend's story as an example of how the past and the future can relate. All right, that was Trevor Shirley reporting. By the way, Buttigieg will be here in Indianapolis for a book signing event a week from today, next Sunday. Well, coming up, we hear from the mayor of Indianapolis as we talk about the politics of potholes. As the mayor prepares to run for re-election, we're riding along with him coming up. And we'll hear from House Speaker Brian Bosma as Indiana lawmakers prepare for a busy week at the Statehouse. Stick around. We'll be right back. Okay, time now to bring in our panel, Vice Chair of the 2016 Indiana Trump Campaign, Tony Samuel, former state lawmaker, Christina Hale, conservative blogger and radio host, Abdul-Hakim Shabazz, and former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner. Jennifer, I'll start with you as we talk about this wild week in Washington, the deal in Congress, the national emergency, and now the reaction to it.
6: Yeah, I think anytime you see the reaction split within the Republican Party, I know that's kind of become a thing that we're getting used to, but you've got conservatives who are worried about an overreach of of power, um, and I think you've got the president himself hedging. I can't imagine this is not going to get struck down, that it's never going to come to fruition. And it just adds to more distrust out of Washington. He didn't like what happened in Congress, so he took his ball and decided to declare a national emergency. The
1: president acknowledging this will probably get struck down in court, but saying that he hopes he can score a victory eventually in the Supreme Court.
0: Uh, good luck. I mean, anybody who has any sort of fidelity or intellectual honesty with the Constitution knows that what the president's doing is going to be struck down. Harry Truman tried this back in the 1950s trying to nationalize our steel industry during the Korean War, it, it got struck down. And here's the other thing, too, to think about. Just imagine, you know, it's you know, after the 20-something election and there's a Democrat in office, whether it's Elizabeth Warren, you know, after she got her D23 and meat test passed, or Cory Booker, well, these other people, declared a national emergency over climate change or guns. If you don't like it when the other side does it, to be intellectually consistent, you cannot be crazy about this when the Republicans do
1: it. Well, and all of this isn't happening in a vacuum, right? You've got the 2020 election. You've got the, the Mueller probe ongoing, the chance for more oversight perhaps in Congress. Andy McCabe on 60 Minutes tonight. There's a lot happening in D.C. these days.
7: Absolutely. It's interesting. Abdul also called it the Korean War. I grew up calling it the Korean Conflict, I think. <laughs> but it's, it does kind of demonstrate your point, which I think was was fairly spot on. Uh, It's interesting that on Friday, the day of the declaration, the first Republican person to declare himself a candidate to run against Donald Trump for the Republican uh, nomination was the former governor of Massachusetts, Governor Weld. Um, Is that a coincidence? I don't know. But it it smells like hijinks.
1: Can the president keep Republicans together on this issue?
4: I think so. There's a divide because and then Congress could have done a better job of supporting the president. But it's a start. That's the key here. He's he's, uh, set this up over the course of, since he was running as as a candidate, but especially over the course of the last few months during the shutdown, he talked about this. He had to go through that fight uh, without funding uh, and, and going through the shutdown to get to this point. That puts him on better ground because he's made the case over and over again. Politically, you mentioned the 2020 election. It's good for him because he's made this case. This is actually the start of the real campaign and he's getting money he's starting to build the wall some will be challenged but some he can do like the money from the US Department of Treasury but what it really does it shows voters that he's fighting for them And there's all kinds of obstruction that he's got to fight against.
7: Did I hear Tony say that the declaration of the national emergency was the beginning of the campaign? No, you did not (laughs) hear me say. What you heard me say. What what you heard me
4: say was what I've been saying. He has been talking about border security, protecting our borders, building a wall for quite some time through the uh, during his last campaign and voters know when they see the obstruction that comes at every step and that helps it well, and that is going to be a campaign issue and now split in clarifying. the
1: republican party as we were talking about over this uh... let's talk about indiana's senators here uh... what about the way that senator braun and senator young are handling this braun said yeah he supports the national emergency declaration you saw my interview earlier with senator young he didn't want to say the actual words that he opposes it but he made it clear he thinks the funding process constitutionally uh, belongs to Congress. He said that has always been his threshold. We asked his office to clarify, does that indeed mean he opposes the emergency declaration? Uh, No response, but then we did catch up with the Senator again when he was back in town on Friday.
5: So I need to learn more about what statutory authority the president will be relying on for that. Uh, I intend to not only study that issue in great detail, as you might expect, but also to be speaking with the president directly.
1: A difficult line here for Republicans to walk in terms of uh, perhaps op- opposing uh, this emergency declaration, but but maybe in some cases not quite wanting to come out and say it that you, way.
6: You kind of feel bad for him. You know, he's trying to walk and talk and act like you know he's on both sides of the issue. It's a really tough uh, a tough needle to thread, and he's. You know he's pragmatic. I'm actually a little disappointed in Braun that he was—he's just been so emphatically behind the president no matter what. It's like he's not stopping to think it through as a conservative, which I am not. But I mean, Todd Young seems to be towing the conservative line on this, and and I respect that. What do you make of that divide in the Republican
0: well, Party? It, it doesn't surprise me. I think uh, Todd Young, who's been in office a little bit longer uh, than Mike Braun, is a little bit more seasoned at this and a little bit more nuanced. I think Mike will eventually. Uh, Get there, but the thing is, at at the end of the day, Congress has the power of the appropriations. The, there is no and ifs or buts about this. The founding fathers made it pretty clear. And if the president is trying to spend money in an area that Congress has not appropriated, he is going to be struck down as unconstitutional. This is not rocket science. Cory Booker can understand this. If Congress hasn't appropriated the money, you can't you can't spend it. It's that simple.
1: Where does this leave us now in terms of the the 2020 election and everything that's uh, headed our way in the next uh, few months?
7: I think um, during uh, pre-Trump times, this would be that punctuated moment that everybody points back to. But we talk about this on the show all the time. There's so much drama, drama, drama. It might just end up being one more piece of the carnival.
4: This is really simple, uh, the way the president stated it today. This is about protecting Americans. It's about stopping drugs from crossing the border. It's about stopping uh, illegal uh, gangs, uh, illegal immigrants and gangs and violence, and that is where the president is going to be on solid ground with the American people.
1: It'll continue to be a big issue we'll talk about it on our podcast, too. Let's move to the Statehouse right now. Governor Eric Holcomb announcing who will take part in his next-level Teacher Compensation Commission, part of the governor's initiative to raise teacher pay. A bit of backlash, though, this week because that commission does not include any teachers. Members include CEOs, vice presidents, and chairmen from businesses around the state. Also at the state house, we're getting ready for a big committee hearing in the State Senate this coming week on the topic of hate crime legislation, something the governor has been calling for. The bill includes a list of protected characteristics, which include gender identity. The Senate Public Policy Committee is scheduled to hear that bill next week. We caught up with Speaker Bosma on Thursday. It's my hope that Senator Brake can thread the needle
3: and get a bill over here that we can work with. Uh, I think I know he's working very hard to make that happen. He did not give me a prediction. In fact, he refused to give me a prediction because he didn't want to be wrong. Uh, but I know he's working hard on it, and I, I hope he's successful.
1: All right. Also at the Statehouse this week, lawmakers continue to craft the two-year state budget. There was a hearing on the bill that would bring more funding for convention and sports facilities in Indianapolis, perhaps a new soccer stadium. Also some controversy over an abortion bill that would restrict some second trimester abortions. It got a committee hearing last week, a vote this coming week. Lawmakers also talked about school safety and mental health, including a bill providing funding for firearms training for teachers. And we learned lawmakers will not take any action on a bill that would make it potentially easier to remove state officials accused of wrongdoing like Attorney General Curtis Hill. And there was also a lot of reaction to this Indy Star investigation on a former state lawmaker, state Senator Alan Paul, who the star says got a secretive and possibly illegal lobbying contract for the Department of Veteran Affairs that paid him more than 150 grand, an agency, of course, that's already been under scrutiny a lot going on guys at the State House. Uh, Christina, what are you keeping your eye on this week?
7: Certainly that hate crimes legislation. I was at the Indiana Latino legislative breakfast last week where they um, the many of the caucus representatives were discussing this. It sounds like something could be breaking. Um, but you know, once again it could be much to do without nothing. Bills are getting ready to shift from house to house, and so it's time yeah. to hustle.
1: Speaker Bosma, they're saying, Oh, I hope the Senate can get this done. <laughs> Send it my way.
0: Yeah, I was actually uh, there with the speaker uh made his comments. Uh, the, if you are a supporter of the hate crimes legislation as it is in the Senate, the, the good news is is that most of the people on the Public Policy Committee voted for it the last go-around. It actually did get out of the Senate. It's a house where uh, things were a bit of an issue. So if anybody's looking for a, a hope or a ray of light, that's what you look for. I, frankly, am keeping an eye on the, on the teacher pay issue to see if lawmakers do the one thing that doesn't seem like anybody wants to do, which is mandate any new money Go to our teacher pay because that is the only way you're going to put more money in the pockets of teachers as if they're a mandate.
1: We'll see what happens. We've got to leave it there. Coming up next this Sunday in Focus, we're one-on-one with Mayor Joe Hogsett. Driving city streets, talking about the pothole problem in Indy and the race for mayor this fall. That's coming up.
8: So this is Kennedy, obviously, um, in 60.
1: On this President's Day weekend, you're about to get a rare glimpse of Governor Holcomb's pretty impressive collection of presidential signatures. He has signatures of all but one of our nation's presidents. Matt Smith takes you inside the governor's residence on the news tomorrow night. Don't miss it. Also today, we're talking about the politics of potholes as we ride along with Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett, who's seeking a second term in office this year. Here's Bob Donaldson with more.
3: The city's pothole problem still isn't as bad as last year when hundreds of miles of road literally fell apart. Recently, we rode with Indy's Mayor Joe Hogsett to find out about the potholes this year and about his plans for the city's future. You can't drive around Indianapolis without looking for them. Potholes are always the topic of conversation this time of year. So they're bound to come up when you drive around town with the man responsible for filling them.
8: Bob, I never thought I would take potholes as personally as I do. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Mayor Joe Hogsett is actually good-natured about the pothole pitfalls he faces every year. He hits them, too. Do you really call in potholes yourself when you when you drive around?
8: I am afraid that I am the single um, most prolific pothole reporter on the Request Indy app.
3: But the mayor gets serious when he talks about what happened last year on Indy's Roads. And that is why I
8: have ordered.
3: He declared an emergency, spent millions in the city's rainy day funds, and ordered the rapid repair of the crumbling streets.
8: And last year was the confluence of years of deferred maintenance on our roads and a bad winter. That's pretty rough as an elected official to go through something like that. It's usually snow that is traditionally considered the downfall of mayors. Well, for Indiana, it's road maintenance and potholes.
3: Much more than potholes come up when you drive around the city streets with Mayor Hogsett.
8: This is such a wonderful amenity. Hey, by the way, so this is the King Park Development Corporation. Which way, this way? Yeah, we can go down this way. You know, it all began with Bill (laughs) Hudnut.
3: No topic is more important to the mayor than public safety. Indianapolis set another deadly record last year when more criminal homicides were committed than at any other time in the city's history. The mayor says the solution rests here on the streets and in the neighborhoods by improving the quality of life through education, economic development and community
8: policing. Because When neighbors take care of their neighborhoods and care deeply about their neighborhoods, then you're going to find greater peace and safety in our streets.
3: Hogsett points to the Monon 16 neighborhood as one example of his view of the city's future, a place where public money was concentrated to revitalize an area that was struggling.
8: There's no one who can transform a neighborhood better, faster and more effectively than the neighbors themselves.
3: Joe Hogsett has already announced he's running for a second term. City streets, its neighborhoods, and public safety will all become more than just topics of conversation soon.
8: Every great city responds to those challenges.
3: They will become campaign issues.
8: So you've announced your re-election. Why do you want to do this job again? Many of the things that we've begun in this first four years, I would like the opportunity if the people of Indianapolis want to give it to me, I'd like the opportunity to continue working on those things.
3: State Senator Jim Merritt filed his paperwork to run for mayor against Hogsett. He's already gotten the support of Republican leaders. Senator Merritt held
1: a press conference this past week criticizing a recent change in traffic patterns along the Red Line project, as well as some criticism of the mayor himself.
8: Yet again, citizens, businesses, and schools are having to deal with the aftermath of Mayor Hogsett's uncoordinated efforts and underwhelming performance. We've seen it with crime. We've seen it with the condition of the roads. We've experienced it with economic development. And now, now, unfortunately, we are seeing it firsthand.
1: Okay, our panel is back now as we talk more about the race for mayor already heating up here in the middle of February.
6: I'm not sure I would call that heating up, per se. Look, Jim Merritt's a nice guy. He's obviously wanted to do this for a long time. I think he's going to launch a and run a credible campaign. But you can't run a campaign on things that are going to get fixed in a month or two months. And he's going to have to really tap into any sort of unrest in the city, and there just isn't, because Joe Hogsett's been doing a good job.
1: Well, Abdul, also some chaos in some of the council races that you think could have an effect on Mayor Hogsett's yeah, the election. Yeah, and,
0: and first of all, with all due respect to my good friend here, who I love dearly like my sister, if you want to solve the pothole problem, just fill it with the dead bodies. Oh, yeah. You know, there, there we go. You kind of take care of two birds at once. So, yeah, no. No, the the, the council, for the most part, there, there's a lot of disarray. Uh, Republicans and Democrats just went through their, their slating process, but there are some people who did get on the ballot, young African-Americans that were kept off by other African-Americans. Americans and Case Winnie Bell, there, there's lots of dis- dissension, and this is stuff that bubbles up that not necessarily makes people vote Republican, but it makes them stay home. And the last time Democrats stayed home was called 2007, ended up getting Greg Ballard as mayor.
1: We'll see what happens. We'll talk about it more on our podcast. We'll be back after this with this week's Winners and Losers. All
4: right, finally, this week's Winners and Losers. Tony. I'm going to stick with that mayor's discussion. My winner is Senator Jim Merritt. I think he's got a real shot. He's got a lot of support and a lot of financial support early on.
1: Christina.
7: Winner, Indiana. We got our first national park yeah, up at the, the Lakeshore. Yeah. Very exciting, my home. Loser, Sarah Sanders. Friday, she had to tell her boss she had a one-on-one with the special counsel.
0: Abdul. My big winners, Darius Ross, Belinda Drake. There were the two Democrats who were not allowed on the ballot, but they're going to go run as independent, showing that people are motivated and got the gumption. They can run for public office. Get the last word.
6: My losers, Republicans, are once again fighting with their president over border wall funding. All
0: right,
1: that'll do it for this week's show. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. All right, as we talk some more on the podcast here now with Tony Samuel, Christina Hale, Abdul-Khim Shabazz, Jennifer Wagner, great to have you all with us. And, of course, another really busy Newsweek. And all the uh, developments Friday on um, the declaration of a national emergency. You know, we were kind of joking when we had the piece with Mayor
4: Hogsett. He declared, yeah. an, emergency he declared an emergency on bottles. Why, hey. why can't our president? Because,
0: because Johansson's got the, the statutory authority
4: okay. from the council.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: President's got the authority. This and, is obviously go going to court,
7: right? Oh, obviously. Yeah, no one's going to let this rest. There are too many true conservatives in the Republican Party they are going to push back that really are going to return to their core tenets of, of their basic identity as a party.
0: And, and I understand, if, you know, wanting to defend the president, No, he's your guy, he's, he's the head of your party, but, you know, fidelity to the Constitution matters more than party loyalty. And if you let... No one. If you let your guy slide on this, what happens when it's you know, like I said, a Democrat that wants to go ahead and say, "I want to declare a national emergency on guns, climate change, and things that Republicans find morally offensive." We we, we have to be consistent in these things. Well, take Look, that question if, right, if to you, Tony. If, you yeah, if that, you're
4: going to call might this a war on drugs for decades, a war on crime for decades, a war on terrorism now for decades, but you can't declare a national emergency when Congress fails to act for decades, then there's something wrong, and that's why I think he's going to be on on solid ground as he moves forward. And what's even more important, the American people are seeing, like I said earlier, the obstruction that he's got to go through and how hard he's fighting. No matter what happens in the courts, this is a win for the president politically because the Democrats have chosen the wrong side. Republicans need to get on board. They all want to say they want to protect uh, Americans. Here's the way to do it and to show it and prove it.
6: However,
1: this ends up in the courts. Is a signal to his base he's fighting for it?
6: It Uh, is, but I mean... You can say he tried. Yeah, and that's... I I agree with Tony that that is his strategy. I'm not sure it's a winning strategy. I think during the shutdown we saw polling that, you know, upwards of 70% of Americans didn't think this was a good enough reason to shut down the government. Is this a good enough reason to potentially circumvent the Constitution? time will tell i think it's definitely a it's it's a signal to the base but the base is what thirty seven percent forty percent doesn't get you to fifty one and you know i i abdul we've probably been friends for as long as we have because i agree with you if you're going (laughs) On that particular launch agreement, but yeah, you have to be consistent, and this drives me nuts with my own party. It's you know, look, if you're going to apply this standard to Republicans, you have to live and die by it as Democrats. And if you don't want this to happen under Trump, you don't want it to happen under a Democratic president. So it doesn't seem like that's that hard of a standard to live by, but my gosh, it it seems to be in Washington. And
0: the thing is to keep in mind too, when we talk about uh, you know the whole drug issue, you know, Donald Trump's own DEA. Well, we'll tell you, in any published report, most of the legal drugs that come to this country come through regular ports of entry. They're hidden. There was grates. just a
1: large drug bust. That right. I that, to that,
0: the yeah, they the just country. found out about all the fentanyl. How they find it? Just through regular ports of entry. The, the drug dealers, you know, this, this sort of you know mystical, we're sneaking mules across the night desert, you know, to, to, to smuggle cocaine and to, you know, friggin' Carmel, that that is not how this stuff usually works. I mean, if you, if you want to do that, one do it right, I, I will give Tony you no know, poor. You do need to show parts of the border where you can. But true border security, it is drones, it is electronic surveillance, and it is people. And it is also hiring a lot more immigration judges so we can process these people and get them along their, mer- their merry way. Walls by themselves do and Pr- not Trump
4: work. has never said wall by himself. Never, ever. It's always been all those things, and I agree with you that you need all of those things. And you're also talking about crime from uh, gang members that are coming across and that's how they're getting across the border
7: well uh, the evidence is really very clear and as is common sense you know the government
3: (laughs) not on that topic
7: (laughs) president trump shut down the government that also caused delays tsa agents not showing up to work the evidence is very clear there's more illegal immigration people overstaying their visas that fly into our country than ever come across the land borders it's just a fact and it's easier do you want to buy a three hundred dollar ticket and fly in comfort well you know maybe not too comfortable <laughs> yeah, it's and not land as comfortable and stay <laughs> or do you want to slog over the border and caravans etc and we haven't even begun to talk about tunnel technology which is extremely sophisticated broad and, and Pervasive. So again, again, what
1: about the, I was going to ask ahead, about the yeah. approach from Indiana's two Republican senators here yeah. because it's kind of reflective of the Republican Party here, perhaps in general, right? Um, well, I, they're
4: both for building the wall.
1: Sure, but on the on the point of the national emergency, Senator Young hasn't come out and said he he supports that approach. Sure. Right?
4: What's interesting for Republicans, and I think really for everyone on both sides, you can make your case. Uh, with what w- uh, how this came out you can make your case on either side you can say well I'm, I'm uh, I wish you didn't declare a national emergency or you can say yes you had to or you can say it's 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 you know a, a bad thing you can really make an argument and, and that's kind of why this is leading into the political debate for the next year and
1: it will be a big debate no doubt uh, state and local headlines we talked about a lot of things here this week anything else stand out to you guys that we will be watching here in the coming days at the state house or in the mayor's
0: race there's a there's little known story to, to, to keep an eye out it's, it's not a big deal now but it will be uh, before session is over it is the legislation to make the superintendent of public instruction an appointed position right. as opposed to elected position there's a glitch in the system and uh, we found this out discovered watching all the the nonsense in Virginia where they almost had like to have the whole government resign.
1: You mentioned and, this in your newsletter. Yeah. Yes, in the
0: Indiana yeah. Constitution, the Superintendent of Public Instruction is actually six in line. So, if God forbid something were to happen and we have mm-hmm. a designated survivor situation, the Superintendent of Public Instruction becomes governor. However, that was all done when the Superintendent was in an elected position. Now, if it's going to be appointed, that now throws a monkey wrench in, into this whole thing that both uh, Rep- the House House and Senate Republicans are taking a look at to see if that's going to stop that position from being uh, appointed, which, once again, could have consequences, you know, for the next election cycle.
7: Um, There's an issue that impacts more regular people that have cell phones out there today in the age of the sexy selfie. Indiana still does not have a revenge porn law. I was proposing one for many years. Um... There is a proposal right now, a bill that's still alive, so we might finally at least have, if not a crime, a civil pathway to recoup when, you know, that photo, that intimate photo is sent to your family, your friends, you lose your job, etc., but it's beyond time. And
0: thinking thinking back on uh, Christina's thing, I think think it's a much better chance of being a civil offense than a crime, because the person who did when you guys were doing whatever, you did share the you did share the information. It wasn't illegally uh, obtained so.
7: Not, to just, going going Not to go into too much detail Not to go into too much detail But uh. I will say I had a constituent Was married to a man for 27 years They took intimate photos while they were married Got divorced Yes he sent the photos to her uh, To her employer, to her family mm. But what this guy liked to do Was put the photo on Craigslist Or back page mm. with her phone number Or home address when he could find it To um, encourage people Trying to solicit commercial sex Hire her as a prostitute it really put uh, so her... I mean,
0: that's, no, me, that's a pretty clear evidence of that's a crime because solicitation. That's, yeah. Yeah, solicitation. solicitation. Right. Well, it right. never involved. said
7: solicitation. Okay. It was her photo and a phone number. You can imagine what would happen. Yeah. And it was Trixie, and she was in danger because so, of it.
4: So,
1: obviously, a lot of these bills coming up to the deadline here near the halfway yeah. point. Yeah,
4: well, and I might just add, um, on a lighter note... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a <less> sexy note. <laughs> hey, after
0: 27 uh, years, if you yeah. still want to look at each other... There's right. a,
4: there's a kind of a sleeper issue, that uh, an issue that's near and dear to both Christina's and my uh, heart it's uh, a film and media production rebate an incentive to lure more yeah. movie making See, television that show making uh, th- yeah. there was a hearing in the Ways and Means yeah. Committee uh, of, of yeah. Monday uh, of this week on Monday and Angela Pizzo the, the writer director creator of uh, Hoosiers and Rudy uh, testified along with others and they did a great job getting the message across and Uh, A lot of support, I think, is growing for that.
7: And the true spirit of bipartisanism or nonpartisanism or just friendship, um, (laughs) you know, I lost my seat. I wasn't able to be there. I've authored that. I've been working on that for 20 years, even before I was in office. And when I walked away, what's the phone call I made was to Tony to say, hey, would you pick up this baton and run with it? And he's from his... With his superpowers uh, in his field of business, he's been doing bipartisan, tremendously analysts coming together. Right? right. Thank you for and that. Thank you. Uh, for anything for that? else? Keep an eye it. It. on. Obviously,
1: people, just regular everyday people and drivers do talk about those potholes. They right? sure
6: do. But like I said on the show, I just don't think this. This is an issue that happens every single year. The mayor himself, in the in the ride along, said, you know, last year last year everything fell to pieces. We're better off than we were last year. It's one of those issues. It, it is awful. It is perennial. It is it, it is bipartisan. You know, Mayor Ballard also had this problem because guess what? Our streets were built 150 years ago, and there are bricks and trolley lines and under if there. Jim Merritt pulls an upset; there'll still be potholes. Absolutely. Uh, if he becomes the mayor, I mean, I actually don't disagree with Abdul. If he's going to pull an upset, it's probably going to be on the issue of crime, not on the issue of of potholes and infrastructure. We got more money from you know the state to, to deal with our infrastructure it's not going to be on the red line the red line is going to be done by the time the election rolls around let's
1: talk about that that got sped up that project yeah. um, well, they're going to get it done up, by speed the end a, of the summer speed up is a relevant well, term. Was, it was moving along <laughs> slowly but now they're adding more yeah. uh adding more labor in it to get it done by the end of the summer do you think that has anything to do with the
0: mayoral election? i mean i mean it, it does in the sense that for most people right now it's an inconvenience you know but like jennifer said you know eventually the red line you would hope would be done by the time the election season you know, rolls around just like you hope all the potholes will be filled by the time the, the election season rolls around but, but the, what the problem is what the challenge is I, I think the hogshead administration really needs to hire jennifer to do their messaging <laughs> i really do because when they because when they, when they say look we filled four thousand potholes well you didn't fill mine and on my way to work i still see them so i don't know necessarily if that's the way you want to do it. And we've all seen the big you no know, internet meme of red dots you know, sort of all over the city of Indianapolis. I mean, we we'll underst- show
1: the red dots on the yeah. news. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I
0: understand you would let people yeah. know where the potholes are, but why don't you just put a big splat of red paint, yeah. you know, splat in the middle of Indianapolis and and be done with it? I, I kind of wonder what my friends in the hogshead administration are are thinking of okay. this is their strategy, because this is the exact same thing I saw, you know, ten, twelve years ago with Bart Peterson in two thousand six, two thousand seven. The
1: New York Times this week referred to Indianapolis as one giant pothole.
4: It is. Not I, the I had. <laughs> no. It's my personal story. I had four flat tires from potholes last year. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the last one, the AAA, uh, the guy that came to help me with AAA, his name was Steven. but he, he got out of the his truck, and he said, Hey, I, I watch you on Info. Oh, are you the, you call the call guy on <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't know if he listens to the podcast, but thanks, Steve. Sorry, Christina, you were about to make oh, a point. Yeah, on this I too. hear
7: how Abdul feels about potholes, but I wanted to know how I felt about the mayor's Colombo rain jacket. Should he continue <laughs> to wear out through the campaign, or should he toss it out like his old yeah. campaign sneakers?
0: Um, I just think he probably, right. probably just wear one of those red vests so he can actually fill the potholes as he's driving. There along. you
1: go. Guys, thank you so much. We appreciate it. We'll do it again <laughs> next week. NBA Be sure to tune in every Sunday for this week's edition of In Focus.